welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rain. The living dead. The cursed city. Where the gates of hell it is, it gives the dead the appearance of life. Oh, it is not the appearance of life, it is life. This is not magic, as you say. I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. <laughs> Get me back my head! Get me back my head! Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Retro Blood. As we have entered the gates of hell, because we are doing Hellfire Month this month on the Retro Blood. Up next, if you like Rubik's Cube box-like structures that bring out demons that don't know the difference between sex and and, and killing each other, and you like uh, 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 a guy named Frank. Uh, trying to get his body back. This is the hell for you, brother. Because we're talking all about the original Hellraiser. J.A. Allison, James Klein, what's happening, Allison? How you feel about our Hellfire Month? How you feel about the Hellraiser? Man, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, I mean, it's heating up. It's July. It's summertime. So what better, uh, what better t- topic to talk about than Hellfire and gates to hell exactly and uh what a great uh movie to review for our first month of the hellfire month here in july you know like you're saying it's kind of hot outside we got some fireworks going and the house that they were staying at larry and and and, and julia and stuff that place looked kind of hot in there it looks like you'd be sweating a little bit uh of course our, our boy frank doesn't have any sweat glands either so he's trying to get some so it's going to be a fun uh, fun little review here, too. And it's fun to finally get into the Hellraiser series because it's, it's just crazy to think about this particular series of how many movies there are. And I think that get, I think this uh, Hellraiser kind of gets like overlooked a little bit. You know, because we have prominent horror series like, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Friday the 13th, Saw, for example, too. They just have like a ton of movies behind them. But... I think Hellraiser almost tops them all, man. And this thing has about, about like 10, 11 movies. There's even like a... Yeah, t- I mean, there's a few. There's even like a TV show in the works right now, too. So it's it's pretty crazy. TV show? Yeah. I haven't heard about that. What's what, how, how do you do a Hellraiser TV show? I don't know, but they're doing it. And I think they're going to be doing a, a girl pinhead, too. Because I think in the last couple of Hellraiser movies, there was only, you know, the... um. The original pin pinhead, um, was it Kevin Bradley? Uh, D- uh, Doug Bradley. Well, Doug Bradley was the yes. original pinhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug Bradley. That's what I meant to say. Mm. Uh, he um, he he didn't. He was in the last couple. You know, the, the ones that came out recently. He was in the last of those. So they they had a different actor. But I think I think they're they're going to be going for like a, a female pinhead, and some of the newer ones coming out. And I think the the TV show that I heard about in, in works is for HBO. So that should be very interesting. Okay. 
All right, that makes sense because I could see that. I was about to say I don't really have a problem with a female pinhead, but I do have a problem with like Hellraiser being on like FX or something like that. You just couldn't make this. It couldn't be as graphic and as gory as it needs to be if you if you don't have it on HBO or something. Exactly. It just to me it's just very interesting, and we'll get into the whole review, the whole breakdown of the movie and everything, scene by scene, like we always do in some production stuff. But I just want to say really quick, it's just very interesting to see that on this original Hellraiser, I I really like the way they filmed it and brought because it it didn't give you everything. You know what I mean? Like you know, nowadays we have a movie or something, they kind of just give you everything. You know, not all the time, but most of the time they just give you everything because they're like two hours long, two and a half hours long. They're like boom, here here is pretty much everything. This movie, like I had so many questions out of it, like where did this box come from. Who the hell is this weird? Uh, <laughs> this weird dude at the beginning, just giving out a box and stuff. Like, how did these Cenobites become who they are and stuff? And that's pretty cool. Like, they kept it. You could tell that when they filmed it, they kept it open for sequels to be made. I'm not sure if they. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if they're gonna. They knew at the time how many sequels would be made, but you could definitely tell by watching it. Like, okay, this one's definitely getting the sequel, the sequel treatment to it. Yeah, or at least they wanted it to have a sequel. Well, I don't think anybody goes into a movie thinking, well, I'm going to make three of these. I think they they all hope that they can make a sequel to their movie if it does well enough. But I don't know. Do you think that that is, and hopefully it's not too early to bring this up, but so, I mean, the, movie making is different now than it was in the 80s or any time before. And, you know, you've heard me say many times, I've probably said it on the show, that I think that the perfect length for a horror movie is about 90 minutes any any more than about an hour and 40 minutes and you 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 have too much in your movie and i think that the 90 minute mark is the perfect length for a horror movie because it doesn't add too much you don't have too much detail you don't have too much explanation and you just have this like ride that you go on for 90 minutes um, now I think movies are too long. Like they try to make a two and a half hour horror movie, like all those A24 movies, which a lot of them I like, but I just think they're just like, they're like marathons. They're just like, they yeah. just plod along forever. And then, and then you have all this weird explanation or you have like minutes where nothing happens, which you don't have in Hellraiser. It's just like, really Hellraiser only has about 30 minutes of story. Yeah. Like, like in the first hour is just leading up to what happens in the last 30 minutes. Um, but do you think, though, so like your question, and I, this will be derogatory, I'm sure, to someone out there. But if it is, it probably should be. So do you think that um, people are different now in that? So like the man at the beginning with the puzzle box, like I didn't wonder who that guy was at all, but you did. And and do you think that people just need explanation for things now? Um, I would say so because the thing is, with a lot of movies that's happened and a lot of story, you know, we see that a lot happening nowadays, especially with the yeah. Star Wars series. You know, we like to see exactly. we like to see the back history of everything. You know what I mean? And, that was an example I was going to use. Yes, because. I mean, I like that too. Like, I like to see what's happening during a, a particular time period of why this story is happening. To me, I find that fans fascinating to go into detail about a particular story. I mean, I I, I like you know, you, like I I know there's been hell. I haven't watched them all, but I know there's Hellraisers that explain the origin of the box. You know, I they could do mm -hmm. a whole movie about that, which I find is interesting because if I'm a fan 
of the of the particular story that they're telling i like to know all the detail about the story you know i'll give you an example you know when i was watching game of thrones all right i not only just watched the show i wanted to know all the detail which that one has a vast uh storyline to it to every True. pretty much every island every house every everything and i like to learn that because i think it makes the story it embellishes the story and makes it better so i i am one of those lit, uh, watchers that when I'm watching something, I do like the backstory and stuff. You know, I even liked, you know, <laughs> this is kind of a weird analogy too, but you know that new Halloween movie that came out, uh, Halloween uh, uh, Kills? Mm-hmm. Um, I liked at the beginning, you know, I shouldn't be spoiling this for anybody because everybody should be watching that shit by now. But anyway. They should have seen it already. Yeah. But if not, then maybe skip like a couple minutes. I liked it at the beginning, <laughs> okay? I liked at the beginning where they showed some scenes from the ninth. For the from the original one, they added it in. You know, I liked where we saw that cop chase down Michael, and Michael disappears, and they go to the house. I thought that stuff was kind of fascinating uh, because it kind of like you know it fills in some gaps to things. You know, not saying the rest of the movie was great, but I liked that particular part. I like when they go and and they a, they go back in time and they fill in some gaps on different movies. You know, I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, which I get. And I get the whole, like, okay, let's just keep that a mystery because a mystery, you can keep it in your minds. But I do like it where you can make a whole, uh, you can start a franchise and you can keep going with that franchise because you have so much backstory of your characters. I think that makes your characters a lot more deeper in my point of view. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I think that some backstory is good, too much backstory is bad. Like with Nightmare on, like sometimes I just want the bad guy to be a bad guy. I don't need an explanation for why he's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, you know, like all I need to know about Nightmare on Elm Street is that Freddy, Freddy Krueger was a child killer and now they tried to kill him and now he's back for revenge. I don't need to know why he became a child killer or what happened in his youth to turn him into a child killer or anything like that. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need him to be turned into a sympathetic character. Um, but, um, but like in this movie, bringing it back to Hellraiser. So, you know, in the very first scene, and we'll talk about this in detail when it happens, but when I watched that very first scene, the very first time, um, you know, they're in like Morocco or somewhere and, you know, some African like bizarre. And I've always heard stories, you know, in red books where people found strange things and these um you know middle eastern bazaars and middle eastern fairs where they sell weird stuff and i just assumed that's what that was yeah you know because the music told me that he was in the middle east or in morocco or in africa or somewhere and um you know i just assumed that's what that was and he just went into this thing and found this weird box and he bought it and then you know all hell broke loose sorry it was a bad pun Um, all hell broke loose um, with the famous 80s blue light right exactly but i you know but i don't need to know who the guy was selling the puzzle box or why he got there or what happened in his divorce or you know maybe used to own a whole chain of these moroccan bazaars but then he divorced his wife and he lost half of i don't need to know all that shit so what just you know i just assumed that this guy was just a seller and he sold stuff so what you're telling me, Allison, you don't need a whole movie like Rogue One that shows how the box got into Frank's hand? Honestly, no. I mean, I liked Rogue One, but I don't need. I didn't need that. Um, I didn't need that information. See, I and, but <clears> I, I would have liked that. Going. I would like to see where the box came from and then how it got into Frank's hand at the beginning. I think you can make some stuff interesting like that. But then you know, like I said, it just when you make movies like that, you know, I mean, it's kind of like yes, I see the overkill with it. 
but I do see the intrigue with it too because you can make them kind of fancy, like you know, you can. It just it's little to me, it's just a little extra. True, but think of that from a filmmaker's perspective. So let's say yeah. that somebody made a movie, um, you know, like you know, you know, uh, James Klein, you you get hired to make a Hellraiser movie, and you know, you uh, th- but then some before you, somebody's made two movies explaining. You know everything about the the puzzle box and everything about the man selling it in the Moroccan thing, and now you're pinned into this little this this story that you already have. So your story, maybe your story is a little different than that. Like I just feel like so much more could be done if we don't pigeonhole everything into like, well, this is what happened. This is explained why this happened. Yeah, I get it. And I feel like people didn't used to need that, <clears throat> but they do now. Yeah, <clears throat> well, you know, back in the day, no, not really. I mean, we we have seen it a little bit with different horror movie series. You know, like obviously on every, when we, you know, back in the archives, check them out, everybody. When we did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, every movie would like recap kind of yeah. what happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> it would be like the same recap, but it would be like a small recap. <laughs> You know what I mean, yeah, every story, every, every yeah. in every movie, somebody tells a story about how about who Freddy Krueger is. Yes, it's like, oh wait, uh, we found these articles uh, in the library that nobody knew about until right now, uh, but they knew it in the first, second, or third sequel. But we know about it right now. You know, they always do like the article gimmick or something like that. So yeah. I think there yeah. was, um, there wasn't as much detail on some some sequels, but we have seen that before, where we get a little bit, maybe like a couple more flashbacks. You know what I mean? True. But true. but yeah, I don't. True. I mean, we I could be wrong, but you know, when it comes to a popular franchise, you usually don't get the origin story until like maybe like the fifth or sixth movie. You know what I mean? Because then then you mm-hmm. could tell like, okay, well, we don't want to keep continuing this, but how about we just tell them the origin story because i definitely know if there's like freaking 10 hellraisers out there like i said before i haven't seen all of them but i'm pretty sure there's like a pinhead origin story out of one of them i'm pretty pretty sure so yeah don't they kind of tell that in hellraiser 3 they they, they might actually yeah that's the one there's one of them i can't remember which one i've only seen one two and three so it has to be in two or three but there's one where um it shows Doug Bradley not as Pinhead playing with the puzzle box. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's three two. Um, maybe yeah. maybe one day we'll get out of the '80s and we'll check that one out because I think that one came out in '92. I believe so. Maybe it's a light out, lights out one. Ooh, never know. But anyway, maybe. we got a jam packed episode for you guys. Just like every episode of the Retro Blood, we do the history segment of what is happening around pro wrestling and metal music around the release date of a, the particular film that we're doing. So this Hellraiser in the United States was released September 18th, 1987. Now it was released like eight days earlier, I believe, in, um, in London. But we'll talk about the U.S. release date because that's when me and Allison would have seen the movie. That's, this is when we would have drive the Trans Am all the way to the theater. And to be honest with you, like, you know, even if I didn't know Anything? If I heard a movie called Hellraiser, I was like, okay, I'm definitely seeing that shit. Because you know it's some crazy mm-hmm. shit's about to happen. So, how about we do the pro wrestling first? Because I don't have too much on the pro wrestling um, Okay. when it comes to the history segment. I got two WWF house shows. Because like we'd said before on Retro Blood, you know, a lot of times, especially during this era, you know, house shows were very prominent. You know, the big, the big thing about pro wrestling was the gate. 
You know what I mean? The gate and the ticket money and the pay-per-views. Television deal wasn't actually... You got some, obviously, exposure and money from television deals. But your main revenue of source would be house shows and be pay-per-views at this particular mm-hmm. era. You know, it wasn't until later on in, like, the Monday Night Wars and, and then later on, you know, where they actually start getting uh, real significant money for the TV shows. And that's how the business eventually changed to how we see it today where it's pretty much all about the tv and we can give a shit about most house shows Uh, right but you know back then it's all about the gate how much you're drawing who's on top who's on not you know stuff like that so you know the wwf would usually run like a i wouldn't say they're they're an a and b house show they try to keep them kind of normal but pretty much like we we said here before any show that had like your major stars like your your randy savage your hulk hogan you know um you know, anybody, Andre the Giant, any big, big name would be like pretty much your prominent house show. So let's see what we got for the first one. <clears throat> so this one is going to be in Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, Allison, do you have any fond memories of Youngstown, Ohio? I do not. Um, I, um, um, a lot of people in my life know this, but the audience doesn't know this, that um, I have only ever one time had a good time in Ohio. Oh, okay. um, I do, I, Ohio is maybe my least favorite state of all states that I've been to. Um, now, I did make a trip to Cincinnati in 2014. That was a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, I have never had a good time in Ohio. Um, I don't know if I've even yes. been to Ohio. Yeah, there, you know, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is, I guess. Well, um, but anyway, I'm sure the Ohio fans are probably up in arms now, but yeah. Never had a good time in Ohio. Well, so, uh, but WWF did, I guess. Yes. Because, you know, just think about it. You know, it's 1987. We're in September time. You know, it's starting to get maybe like a little cooler and stuff. Uh, we're winding down, getting close to the Halloween season. Let's go check out a WWF house show all the way here in sure. Ohio. And the first match, I couldn't believe my eyes. We have the Dingo Warrior. Ooh. All right. Versus Jos Estrada. Or Jose Estrada, sorry. Jose Estrada, yes. So, you know, I always forget that the Ultimate Warrior, the Dingo Warrior, I forgot that he always came into the WWF first has the Dingo Warrior. Because, you know, when you hear the Dingo Warrior, that's mostly the WCCW name for, um, you know, John John Hennewick. Um, mm. I think it, it had to be not even like, a couple months where he gets changed to the Ultimate Warrior because I don't think he was the Dingo Warrior in the WWF for that long at all. But he uh, he defeated Estrada, by the way. Yes, um, I'm trying to think. I, I I just had like a like a, I just lost the memory of that. Um, Jose Estrada is is he uh, is he a uh, um a uh puerto rican wrestler yes he's from puerto rico yes okay yeah That's he's from puerto rico i'm pretty sure he was part of that like sabio vega crew yeah okay that's what i was thinking yes yeah yeah he was uh let's see yeah puerto puerto rican professional wrestler he was apparently he was involved in one of the most ill-fated angles in wwf history the infant stable mm-hmm. wars of late 1997 so, yeah, yeah, he was part of, I knew it. He was part of the Los Barricos uh, faction that Sadio oh, okay. Vega had for a little bit. But obviously, you know, he, this is probably just when he was just a regular wrestler 
jobber probably during this time. Yeah. Uh, and did the Dingo Warrior wear face paint like the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah, I've never seen Dingo Warrior wrestle. Oh, okay. And also, why was he called Dingo Warrior? <laughs> so nobody. Really he, I knows. mean, a Dingo is a dog, right? He's like it's like an Australian wild dog. So that's been a good debate for a while. You know, we I seen on a couple of documentaries and stuff that we they don't really know why he was called the Dingo Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like okay, well, we got a warrior. What about a dingo? Oh, that sounds neat. Let's just add that and see what happens. But yeah, I, it's probably just maybe somebody just came up with it and like, ah, oh, we'll just go for it. And it sounds unique all the time. It's, it sounds like a situation where somebody came up with that idea and then got fired, but they kept doing it and nobody knows why they're doing it anymore. Yes. But yeah, I, I like the dingo warrior better though. I like that name better than the ultimate warrior, I think. The dingo warrior. Well, well, I like I like the uh, well how they came up with the Ultimate Warrior because they're like first of all nobody knew in the in the F they didn't know what a dingo was. Right. So Vince Man's like, well, we got this, we got the Road Warriors, we got the modern day warrior, Kerry Von Erich. Why don't we call this guy the Ultimate Warrior because he's more powerful and ultimate than all the other warriors out there are. That was the uh, that was the backstory of how the Ultimate Warrior was created. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That sounds like a Vince McMahon thing. Yes. So here's a very interesting tag team match. We have Brad Renegans. I don't know if I said his name right. And Sam Houston defeated the Shadows. Shadow number one and Shadow number two. Hmm. Which the Shadows guys, um, were, one of them was Moondog Rex. Okay. That was Shadow number one. That's one of his later gimmicks was Moondog Rex. And the other Shadow number two was another Puerto Rican wrestler, Jose Rivia. So what a weird team that is. The Shadows. Yeah, Um, that is weird. That sounds like they just didn't have anything to do with those two guys. So they're like, I assume they wore masks, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just yeah, so they're like, let's just put these two guys in a mask, and it won't matter if they don't go together. Yeah, well, they got defeated. So pretty much, you know, one, <laughs> most of the time when you see the generic people, they're just there to get beat. You know what I mean? So they got to put, well, yeah, put over Sam Houston strong. So who are we going to send out there? I'll just put this guy in a mask. And who, who cares if he loses? We'll bring him back as something else. So the next match is Danny Davis. He defeated one of my favorite 80s wrestlers since I've been doing this show now, um, Dan Spivey. Mm-hmm. And we talked about... Dangerous Dan. Dangerous Dan, brother. We talked about Dan Sp- Spivey on here to show, so I don't want to embellish. I want people to actually check out our archives. But uh, Dan Spivey, you know, part of the uh, skyscrapers, you know, he was that weird uh, a Bray Wyatt-style gimmick. Um, but, you know, you know, over here, he's probably just getting his feet wet, you know, trying to get, um, you know, some good old... Uh, uh, wrestling time behind him. Uh, here's the next. Here, so this is when the start. This is when the card. You know, your, your money starts paying in on this part of the card right now. So okay. we have Demolition Axe and Smash. They defeated mm-hmm. the Rougeau brothers. So I can see that match being pretty good. You know, pretty good. Yeah, that was tactic, probably action. pretty good. Yeah. So we have George Animal Steel. So we got some. Uh, we got some big names on this house card. He fought one of Retro Blood's favorite acts. That come out of the pro wrestling, he is fighting Ron Bass to a double count out. Yeah, I knew it either had to be Ron Bass or Killer Khan. Yes. <laughs> the two uh, Retro Blood stables, 
of uh, the tag team with the retro blood, Ron Bass and, and uh, Killer Khan, brother. Imagine yeah. they teamed. We didn't know what to do. We're like, damn. Yeah, okay. that'd be amazing. That would be amazing. It's crazy how, like, Ron Bass, it's crazy how those two are, like, always on something, you know? So you, you got to give them credit for, like, always being around the mix during the yeah. you know the 80s you know that really especially ron bass like i feel like ron bass is like on everything that we talk about this guy just shows up he's on he's on crockett he's on the he's on the f he's on some random uh, uh random house shows that we talk about sometimes this guy's everywhere yeah. yeah he worked a lot like i remember outlaw ron bass from you know wrestling for jim crockett but i guess he'd moved over to the f by this point but um but yeah i mean yeah he, he was he's on nearly every card that we talk about during this time period which, you know, hey, he gets paid every day. Because yeah, they got yeah. paid basically by appearance then. Yeah. He's a hardworking man. So this is the main event. This is what we'd be driving the Trans Am to see. And <laughs> and to be honest with you, like even if I was in the eighties, I probably would have probably would have skipped this show because this main event is not that appealing to me. But I could see that it could be appealing to some people. So we have a intercontinental championship match. Uh we have the champion okay. The Honky Tonk Man, mm-hmm. and the challenger, the All-American himself, Jim Duggan. And of wow, course, that's your main event? That's our main event to the house, our brother, all the way in here a whole while. And check Ooh, this one out. How do you think the match ended, Allison, out there? Disqualification. Close. Double count out? No, no, you actually got it right. It was from disqualification. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, "Now you got that right, right on the spot." <laughs> <laughs> so it was a it was a disqualification on the honky tonk man's end. So Jim Duggan won, but he didn't win the belt because you can't win the belt on a disqualification, right? Or at a house show. On a house show, apparently either. So that show, yeah. eh? To be honest with you, Ohio, you're not doing it for me on that show. Like, uh, I mean, it might be kind of cool to see the Dingo Warrior and then Axe and Smash. But that's about, and then you know, Ron Bass is always a fun one to watch too. But let's see, yeah. let's see, let's see what was happening in the Rosemont Horizon venue in Rosemont, Illinois. Ooh, that's always a pretty good show. Oh, that was the A show for sure. Yes. Was that the same day? Same day, yes. Yeah, this is the A show <laughs> we're going to talk about yes. now. So, Youngstown, Ohio, or Chicago? Yeah, yes. Chicago is the A show. So we have opening match: Bob Orton Jr. defeated Jerry Allen. So, you know, something about Bob Orton stuff. This guy was always a fantastic wrestler. So, if you want to get a good old, you know, good good match to open the show, definitely throw Bob Orton in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main man, Hercules, he defeated the ma- magnificent Morocco. Uh, Coco Beware defeated Nikolai Volkov. Uh, we, ha- we actually have a rare women's match. Uh, Sensational Sherry, the champion, defeated Velvet McIntyre to retain the wow. WWF Women's Championship. That must have been pretty crazy. You know, women's matches back then were pretty, I'd say they're pretty wild. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I, they, they're definitely not as crisp as they are nowadays, but I can see them being pretty wild. Um, here, John, uh, J- Allison's favorite tag team, the Young Stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma. <laughs> <laughs> While the girls were going crazy over them. They defeated yeah. the dream team, Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine. That should be a pretty good match. That would have been pretty good, yeah. That would watchable. Uh, the famous tag team known to mankind, and I got a funny story about them too, Strike Force. Rick Strike Mart- Force. Rick Martel and right. Tito Santana. 
defeated mm-hmm. defeated the Islanders Haku and and, and uh, Tamawa. So a funny story with Strike Force, and I didn't know this at the time, but I was li- recently li- listening to the Jericho podcast where they do a really cool um, show about um, album clashes. They did the wrestling yeah. album. They did the Pile Driver album. And mm-hmm. I thought I want to listen to that because, you know, recently on this show, we talked about the wrestling album on, uh, on the Retro Blood, which is, I, I just want to hear, because I, I, I don't think I've ever heard the Pile Driver album. I know that's, I actually, I think that Pile Driver album actually came out this year, 1987 as well. So it we, actually came out this same month. I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. 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 Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get but that. It, but we'll, it came out like a couple weeks later, though. Okay. And we'll probably do a movie that came out the same week it came out. So let's okay. hold off on the pile driver album. Ooh, but I can't wait to talk about it because apparently <laughs> Strike Force's theme is supposed to be so horrendous. It's like girls and cars. Yes. <laughs> just girls and cars. It doesn't have anything to do with them. They're finishing moves or nothing. It just has girls and cars. So I really just want to listen to that track. I thought that was really funny when they were bringing that up. But it, it, just, so, it just so happens that, you know, Strike Force is on this particular card. And I heard like a lot of people didn't like this this um particular tag team. They're supposed to be baby faces, but I just they never gelled together. Which is crazy because, you know, Rick Martell and, and Tito Santana, they're one of the two like really good, you know, match style wrestlers at this time. Yeah. So they're both great wrestlers. I don't know why this didn't work. Yeah. But you know, sometimes the shit just don't work. Here's an interesting match that I don't think I would say before, but I guess it happened. We have superstar Billy Graham. He defeated Butch Reed. So this would definitely be mm-hmm. a body match. Mm-hmm. Allison, do you want to tell the audience what a body match is? Um, I may get this wrong, but okay. I will. Uh, I will. I will. I will talk about it. So a body match would be like a matchup between two super jacked huge guys where um, moves don't really matter so much. It's just big guys pushing other big guys around. And but they can't be right. But they can't be like, like King Kong Bundy would not be in a body match. You have mm. to have like a sculpted body. Yes. So it'd be like two sculpted bodies in a match together where moves don't really matter much. They just kind of push each other around. That's, that's my understanding of what a body match. Is. Yes. And you're correct. Um, all I gotta do is add some posing in there. So you gotta pose, mm-hmm. and then, right. and then one of one of your offensive maneuvers to your opponent in a body match is you gotta show that your biceps are bigger than the other one, so the other one can get irritated. Right. Okay. <laughs> didn't they just have one of these on SmackDown? I heard. I didn't watch. No, it, that was just a, that was just a a pose off. But the oh, okay. the, the okay. concept <laughs> the concept was the same. Right. Okay. Yeah. We need more body matches in wrestling. Just going out there and pushing each other and then posing. Yeah, brother. and didn't uh, didn't Steiner and Triple H have one at some point in the two thousands? Yeah, but that was more. Well, the, that would that would be probably one of the closest thing to a body match, even when they actually wrestled. Right. So basically, you know, it's very slow, a lot of pushing, probably a couple punches, and then you got to flex. All right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Don't forget about that. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Yes. So this is an interesting match. So we have, this is the main event too. So not a whole lot going on during the uh, September era of uh, 1987 in wrestling. So Paul Orndorff with Ken Patera defeated King Kong Bundy with Bobby, he- Bobby Heenan in a whipping match. Hmm. So what is a whipping match? Well, that's what I was going to ask. 
apparently, let's see. Match time, okay. <laughs> let's see. What the hell? I'm I'm just guessing it's a strap match. I, I'm guessing so. Um, we'll probably need to look in the box of gimmick to see what this is, but. Let's see. I'm, it's showing me all these like different. But it doesn't say anything about no whipping match. So the okay. So there's a in my head. What I could think of of a whipping match is you. It's either a strap match or you just you know have a strap and you just on your on your arms and everything and you start whipping each other. Or whoever loses maybe gets like the ten lashes in the back or something like that. Or since it's WWF at this time, it'd probably be ten lashes in the butt. Yeah, probably. Even that main event's not fantastic. I mean, was where was everybody else? Is Hogan and Savage both off this month? Yes, yeah, so just well, maybe this is the day they're off. They're probably just taking taking. Uh, they're probably just getting ready for Survivor Series. Oh, good point. Yeah, which would have been coming up pretty soon. Yeah, pretty yeah. So this probably you know maybe just a couple maybe Hawks up there doing a movie. They're just chilling. So, but yeah, not a, not a whole lot going on in the wrestling front on this day. But you know, we got a couple decent style matches. Um. It kind of would have been like the AEW show we went to. It was like, okay, we bought tickets, but there's not a whole lot going on. Eh, at least we saw something. <laughs> yeah, it was a yeah. The AEW show is a little bit misguided, um, I think. <laughs> um, which we have a lost episode on that. Yes, which I will uh, play sometime here. I'll drop Someday. it on everybody sometime. Maybe on the Facebook. We'll see. We'll make it a special somewhere. But Allison, I do have one thing in music to say. But what do you have for us for our for our metal? What do we be listening to in the Transam? What do we be listening to all the way going to Hellraiser? All right, so let me. I need to ask you a couple of questions, and I'll also ask the audience these questions at the same time, just so I know where we stand. So, James, are you familiar with the term crossover when it refers to music or metal? Like, are you are you familiar with that style the, of music? The only thing I. I the only thing I could think of when it comes to crossover, since I uh, am a 2000s kid a little bit too, is when you do like mm-hmm. that rap and, and the metal together, like that new metal. Does that count as a crossover? In my opinion, no, but some people might think that. Okay. Might might consider that. So so crossover was like, it's like a little, I feel like as a, as a little known and little uh, appreciated subgenre of metal and punk that happened in the eighties for a short amount of time. Um, like I would say there's probably five years of crossover bands and then that's it. And it, it was like, so like, you know, in the early before thrash, you know, before the Slayer bands and Metallica and, and those band Testament, and those bands got big. You had like, I guess what those bands were influenced by like the new wave of British heavy metal, like diamond head and iron maiden and bands like that. Um, and then you had, Hard, hardcore punk punk rock hardcore punk whatever you want to call it was really big so you know you had the fast drums that you and the fast guitars that you would get from hardcore punk and the real fast like vocals that like slayer would take later um but then punk by like say 84 85 was starting to become kind of passe it was kind of like old you know there was there were punk rockers on television at this point so they were like kind of you know it was kind of getting old and metal thrash metal hadn't really got roast to its prominence yet so a lot of bands that started off as hardcore bands um kind of started changing their style to a more heavy metal style so it still had that hardcore sound with the real fast drums and real fast vocals but it became more crunchy and they had guitar solos so it sounded more like thrash metal so it's like thrash metal and, and crossover are similar um 
but crossover bands still sound like hardcore bands with metal elements in a way, almost like what metalcore was supposed to be, you know, where you had all these bands that liked metal, but were influenced by hardcore bands of the uh, 90s, I guess. Um, but that just didn't really pan out that the same way. But so like a very famous crossover band that I was f- familiar with uh, is Corrosion of Conformity from North Carolina. Um, they started out as a hardcore band and then they kind of crossed over to be a metal band. And now they're kind of like a stoner rock band. Um, Suicidal Tendencies is also a um, crossover band. DRI is probably the most famous crossover band. Um, but um the band I was going to talk to you about released an album like a few days before this movie came out and they're considered a crossover band, but they're from Brazil and Brazil had a really big thrash metal scene. Like Sepultura came from Brazil and Tares came from Brazil. There's a lot of really, really, really good thrash bands from Brazil in the eighties. Um, but this band is called um, Ratos de Paral, which means basement rats. They're um, they're from Brazil. Um, they started off as like a punk band, and then they kind of started crossing over to to like a metal sound. And by '87, when then the, you know when this movie came out, they had they had they were fully into the crossover thing, and um, they were influenced on Sepultura. Sepultura was really influenced by Rattus de Prau. Um but they released an album and I'm going to destroy this. And I have a friend who speaks Portuguese and I apologize in advance, mm-hmm. but this album is called Cara Dia My Suho e Agresso, which stand, which means, um, um, every day more dirty and aggressive. Um, but it's, it's a really good album that most people haven't heard. I've been a huge fan of Ratos de Peral for a long time. Um, but they, it's fantastic. I mean, it's super thrashy. It sounds kind of like Slayer a little bit, um, but a more punk rock slayer, I guess you could say. Oh, nice. Um, but it's very good, and you should definitely listen to it. Um, the people out there should definitely listen to it. Um, it is on Spotify, this album is, and it came out on September the 10th. So it came out like, you know, eight days before this movie came out. So this is what I would be uh, making you listen to instead of uh, the wrestling album, too, yeah. on oh, the man. way to <laughs> on the way to see <laughs> um, Hellraiser. But yeah, this album is so good. Um, there are a whole lot of really good Brazilian thrash metal bands that I'm sure we'll, I'll talk about down the road. But like I said, Antares is really good. Executor is really good. Um, Sepultura up until about 1993 was really, really good. Um, yeah. So check out Brazilian thrash metal from the 80s. It's definitely like a very niche thing. Yeah. But a lot of it, and, and, and a lot of it you can't stream anymore. Um, but you know, because these albums just came out and then they disappeared and nobody's ever put them back out again. But um, it's a very niche thing, but there was some really, really, really good Brazilian thrash metal uh, during this time period. And Ratos de Peral is one of those bands. And maybe if we can find some stuff, we'll play it on the Facebook page too. Oh, you can. Um, actually, the singer from Ratos de Peral, he was on Brazilian MTV for a while, apparently. He was like an MTV host. Um, and now he does a um, Portuguese cooking show on YouTube. Oh, wow. Uh, his, na- his name is, is uh, uh, Jao Gordo, or that's not his name, but that's what he goes by because Gordo means fat. And he's a huge guy. But um, he does a vegan cooking show in Portuguese on, uh, on YouTube. Um, but this album is on Spotify, so it is out there. And you can still buy it. Um, it's still in print. Um, but yeah, um, they are, they're fantastic. So everybody check out Ratos de Peral. Oh, that sounds pretty interesting. 
Yeah, the only kind of like Brazilian metal band I've ever kind of followed was Soulfly. Well, yeah, because Soulfly, so Max from Soulfly was in Sepultura. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, he was a singer, and I mean Sepultura and Soulfly are, are by far the most famous Brazilian metal bands. I'm sure. Yes. Sure. Uh, do you have any other music for us? Um, that's pretty much it. Um, great. You know, for that for stuff that came out that that week, everything everything else was like not metal that came out. Yes. The most part. Which I do want to talk about one thing that's not necessarily metal, but it's a huge band, and it's a, okay. it's something very interesting too that you probably would know a bit more about it than me. Now, obviously, you know the band you just talked about. I would probably like them a lot better than this particular band, but I, I have to mm-hmm. say something about this particular band because it does tie into just a lot of like the, the what was going on in the culture during this time. So, on September 18, nineteen eighty seven, a particular band named Kiss released their album oh, crazy God. nights brother yes. <laughs> and i guess this was the period of time that kiss didn't use their makeup yes that's exactly where we are they were just out there looking like some like model dudes you know what i mean with the big hair and stuff and uh how do you are you a big kiss fan there allison i don't know if we talked about a kiss. Big, I, I am a huge kiss fan um i i i defend kiss every day nearly with my friends because all my friends hate kiss um because they don't really i think that you have to be of a certain age and be influenced or not influenced but like exposed to kiss or at a certain at a certain time period for them to be cool otherwise they're pretty lame um but you know like i i i i to me i love kiss because i was exposed to kiss you know, at a very early age, you know, when I was a, a small child, I can remember seeing like pictures of them and seeing them play on television as a tiny kid, um, you know, pre five years old. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. They were like real superheroes. Like it was just cool. That's all I can describe it is it just looked really cool. And I was like super in- interested in it. And I've been a Kiss fan since that day, since those times. But, um, you know, Kiss's first four albums are really, really good. After that, they started, after they got famous. So, like, you know, they had those four albums that completely failed, and then they got famous, and then after that, their music drastically went downhill, in my opinion. Um, And by this point, um, or, like, I'd say by 1980, you know, they took the makeup off in 82, 82 or 83, um, so they had to do something different. So they took the makeup off and they were just like any other hair metal band. And one thing that Gene Simmons has always been good at is he's always been at, good at trying to adapt to whatever makes him money. So, you know, they, they tried to adapt to being this hair metal band and I mean, it worked. I mean, they were still popular. They were still headlining arenas again and, you know, they got big, but like this, this stuff is terrible in my opinion. Crazy nights is the worst of it too. Like it's the mm-hmm. worst of the shitty albums. They yeah, made. I was listening to a couple of the tracks on here, and I was like, "Man, like, I don't know about this." Like, I don't it's mind like, what the fuck happened. I don't mind like the <laughs> glam bands, you know. I mean, we were talking about this before. Like, I like the cheesy glam bands and the freaking you know the gimmicks on there, the hairspray and shit. You know, talk about partying and stuff. I don't mind that stuff. It's I think some of it's pretty good. Boy, I was listening to this thing. I was like, man, this is kind of rough. <laughs> the only song I was kind of getting into yeah. was the Bang Bang You. <laughs> and it was like the simplest yeah. song to do. Bang Bang You. 
It's just the whole yeah, time. It, probably, it probably took them five minutes to write that song. It's it, it's awful. Like it's like yeah. it's unbelievably bad. Like it's it, it's even like it's like fa- it's even faker than than like hair band metal. Like it, it's like yeah. it's like somebody trying to do hair metal that didn't even understand hair metal. It's like it's it's so bad. Um, and there's people that are huge fans of this era of Kiss, but I am not one of them. It's 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 terrible. Um, and it got even worse because in the early '90s, when uh, after the hair metal bands were killed by Nirvana, they uh, Gene tried to get them to become more grunge sounding. Oh boy! Um, and it, God, it was uh, it was it, and that's that was like the end. Um, they uh, you know they tried to like they clearly did not understand what grunge was, and they were trying to like be more grunge sounding. It did get darker again, but it was still like. Holy shit. It's just like they, by this point, they had l- totally lost any credibility that they might have ever had um, as a band. Um, but yeah, uh, I didn't notice that Crazy Nights came out the same day, but uh, yeah, not good. So no you, bueno. Some of you wanted to forget in your memory. So you're telling me you yeah. weren't a big fan of When Your Walls Come Down? No. Um, Hell or no, high no. water? I wonder if uh, Pinhead likes that one. Hell or <laughs> high water? Uh-huh. Um, no, none of these songs are good. The uh, Crazy Nights, I think, is the best song on the album, and it's shit too. I like how like the there's like the last tracks are turn on the night, and then it's thief in the night. <laughs> All right, we got. Yeah, it. they don't even separate them on the <laughs> album, like to make these two similar ideas like more palatable. But it's like it's awful. It's so bad. Good old kiss, man. Like when Ugh. did they when did they put on the makeup? The only, so so what's funny is I never really knew I, I knew too much about Kiss until they came on that Monday night Nitro episode. Yeah, where they sang at it and apparently like bombed in the ratings because nobody gave a shit. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's my actually my that's my first memory of even figuring out what Kiss was because my dad never played Kiss or anything like that. At least I don't think he did, um, and I never like saw them out and stuff. Um, but you know, I thought the 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 paint, you know, they look cool at least. Well, the paint, the face paint, they always, they did that from the beginning. Like even like, you know, when they formed in like 71 or two or whenever they first formed, they, they were wearing face paint then. And, and that's one of the things that set them different than other bands. And honestly, one of the reasons they probably made it was because they looked different. I mean, they were a good band, but they weren't exceptional you know what i mean like they weren't any better than a lot of the other bands that were famous but they um but they they were good and they looked different and like when they had a a look you know that that they could market and people and you know people in the music industry knew that um but they were the they were the uh the paint from the beginning and the costumes from the beginning and the costumes got more elaborate as they got more money and the stage show got more elaborate as they got more money um and then, um, then they took the makeup off for about 15 years or 12 years, something like that. And then in 96, they had that reunion with Ace Fraley and uh, Peter Chris, and then they put the makeup back on again. And then they've worn the makeup since then. Definitely pretty crazy. So Yeah, because then it became like a nostalgia thing, right? So yeah. people missed it, and then they bring it back. Yeah, they brought it back, yeah. And they've just been doing that ever since, huh? And they've been doing it ever since. Now they're in their 70s. Yes. And now, the, and the biggest thing about Kiss was how they gimmicked everything. They gimmick everything, every little thing. So, which is smart, you know. People were buying it, so. Mm. But uh, how about we get in some of the uh, 
some of the Hellraiser talk. Let's get into some of the, the Hellraiser behind the scenes and production notes and stuff from the movie before we get into the breakdown of it. Mm-hmm. So apparently this movie, you know, it was it was made and directed by, you know, Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Um which is a farm uh, he was a famous uh, uh writer. Mm-hmm. Like a book writer. Yeah, an author, yeah. author <laughs> a book writer. Yes. A book writer man. Okay. <laughs> we simplify it here on the on the retro blood. Uh-huh. Yeah, we do. Yeah, he was a book writer. So apparently this story was adapted from his novel the Hellbound Heart. Have you ever read The Hellbound Heart? Yeah, I have. Um, I was going to ask you if you'd read it. I haven't read it, so tell me a little bit about this book and tell the audience, too, who hasn't read it before. Um, it's pretty, it's it's a short, no- I think they call it a novella. It's a short, kind of, it's longer than a short story, but not a full novel. Um, it's very similar to the movie, um, except, I'm trying to think, it's been a long, long time since I've read it, but. Um, it tells a basic same story of Frank and um, the Cenobites. And it, it does explain a little bit more what Cenobites are, but it doesn't name, name any of them. Of course, I don't think the movie names any of them either at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very similar to the movie. Like he made a, a pretty, uh, um, a pretty, not authentic, but a pretty accurate version of his book into in uh in, into the movie um so yeah, it's it's good i mean it's it's if you like clive barker it's good clive barker is not for everybody um for sure but it is it it is it is it is good very gory yeah more that, gory than the movie probably yeah that's usually like is uh clive barker's you know type of uh type of work is more like the glory um type of style kind of like the fantasy gory kind of stuff he does yeah and like dealing with things like um sadomasochism like he seems to be really into that and he talks about it a lot and you know pain and pleasure and them being kind of the same thing that's kind of like the themes of of, of hellbound heart mostly um but uh it, it's good it's basically this a similar story i mean it talks about frank and rory and um uh julia and all those characters are in it it takes place in england though and i'm not sure where this movie takes place it doesn't really say sometimes it seems like they're in england and sometimes it seems like they're in the united states yes and don't forget you know clive barker is making his return to retro blood because we did do one of his movies rawhead rex yeah well isn't rawhead rex the reason this move that he directed this movie yes basically because he 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 directed it himself because he was tired of people making bastardized versions of his books so he made so he made hellraiser even though he didn't really know how to make a movie um, like he didn't know anything about directing really. He just knew what he wanted it to look like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He talks about that too, where he didn't really know like the different style cameras, you know, yeah. like the lenses and stuff like that. And he was just like, I, right, you could have shown me some spaghetti. I thought that was cameras. Right. So he's just like, you know, sometimes, you know, I think it still look good though. Like everything, the shots look good. The effects look good. Um, in the movie we do, we had the return of the slimy demons, which is always my favorite mm-hmm. things in eighties horror movies. Um, but let's see. Let's see what we got on here. Um, so, you know, it was filmed in late 1986. All right, Baker originally wanted the electric music group Coil to mm-hmm. perform the music for the film. But um, it was insisted from his producers that the film be scored by Christopher Young. So some of Coil's yeah. themes were reworked by Young into the final scene. 
Or yeah, Four, so that's so. that's interesting. I like Christopher Young's soundtracks. He he writes really good soundtracks, and this is a really good soundtrack too. But I tried to find um, if anybody had released the Coil soundtrack, but I couldn't find it anywhere. But I bet that would have sounded really cool and probably fit the movie a lot better because they were like an industrial kind of band, and uh, I think that might have fit the 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 movie a little better than the orchestral score that we got. But it would have been really strange. Yes. And like um, we and like we were saying, you know, Clive Barker he didn't like how different companies and directors were doing his movies, so he started to take this one onto his own. And he had some backing from Christopher Figg, and he, he the producers or the 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 company he went through was New World Prediction uh, Pictures. Mm-hmm. So, which is very prominent when it comes to like horror movies at this time. Uh, so Hellraiser was filmed at the end of 1986 and was set to be made in seven weeks, but extended over a nine to ten week period by New World. So they had a they had a time frame of just seven weeks, but we had to add on a couple little extra extra time so to get the story all made. But I like this. Check out this working title and see if this um, rolls off the tongue, everybody. The film was originally made under the working title The Sadomasochist. From Beyond the Grave. <laughs> Sorry. I like that better, actually. <laughs> I think that's amazing. The sadomasochist <laughs> from Beyond the Grave. But I don't even know how you would even put that put that on a poster. Like, how, how would you even format that? To, the fucking, I mean, what, I mean uh, a graphic artist would hate you if you tried, if you made him put that on a poster. Yes. And, you know, uh, Baker also wanted to call the film Hellbound, like, his, like a story. But then yeah. the producer Christopher said, "Oh, about Hellraiser," and they're like, "Okay, we'll go with that one." And of course, there's the name, and it, it spanned a big um, following, and it spanned a big um, a bunch of different movies from there. So, uh, let's see. So you know, we talked about him lacking some knowledge on the filmmaking stuff. Yeah. Uh, apparently Doug Bradley he, he had some trouble hitting his marks during his take in makeup as he could not see through his black contact lenses and was afraid of tripping over pinhead skirt but you know we, we talked about this you know back in the day you know 80s and stuff they didn't really use like contact lenses that we do nowadays most of the time it would just make you blind uh, yeah I was about to say use. I don't think you, back then with colored contacts I don't think you could see through them at all because we talked about that in Evil Dead right they yes. couldn't see at all Yes, and then you know, there's a couple scenes which I, which they basically they had to, uh, I guess, rush a couple scenes. So a couple scenes where we're trying to get some little more uh, character in it, they just had to like rush to make sure they were fitting like budget times. So, but um, oh, censorship that should be fun. So apparently, Clive Baker had made some cuts of the film after MPAA gave it an X rating. Following mm-hmm. scenes were cut for rated R version. Two and a half shots were excused from the first hammer murder, including a close-up of the hammer lodged in the victim's head. You know, all this stuff we could probably just watch nowadays because pretty much every version you watch are probably not going to be the cut versions. And then in the scene where Julia murders another man, the actor played the, playing the victim felt that it made sense for him to do, do so naked. I don't remember that. Maybe they did cut that one out. The nude murder scene was shot, but unfortunately replaced with a semi-clothed version. So we were going to have one of these horny dudes be naked in there. Yeah. Uh, closes up of Christy. Did I say their name right? I always forget her name. Was it? Uh, it's, isn't it Kirsty? Kirsty. That's what it was. Kirsty yeah. the Clown. <laughs> 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 
don't know why it made like me from think the of Simpsons. That. Yes. <laughs> Close up but Kirsty sticking her hand into Frank's stomach, exposing his guts. So there's a couple you know, during this time we had to like trim a couple things down. They still did they still do that nowadays as well too. Um, you know, it's also interesting too, you know, the nineteen eighty seven period, uh, we have done a lot here on the Retro Blood. You know, we did like Prince of Darkness, you know, Nightmare we did Dream Warriors. Um, we did a bunch of stuff. So I was like this period of 1987. I think they have really, um, well done horror movies that came out around this period of time. So, mm-hmm. um, how about, is everybody ready? Is everybody ready for the full review of Hellraiser? Oh, I hope so. Cause it's coming. Let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into Hellraiser. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. Okay, so we start off with uh, this guy gave him a box. Did you notice this guy's fingernails? I noticed they look kind of weird, yeah. He had like dirt all... I was like, fuck, man, can you please clean that shit off? It's freaking me out. I don't know. He had fucking dirt all in his fingernails, and it's like, come on, man, trim that shit off. I don't know why I noticed little things like that. But, <laughs> but he's all like, what is your pleasure, Mr... I saw he said Mr. Cocklin." Was that Frank's last name? Is Conklin? Cotton. Frank oh. Cotton. Oh, it's Conklin? Cotton? What was his name? Cot- cotton. Oh, cotton. cotton. I think he said Conklin. Frank. I think, I, think, I think it's Frank Cotton. Yeah, it is Cotton. Yeah, we have the whole Cotton family on here. Mm. The Cotton family. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, yes, I want, it's like, take it. It was yours. It was always yours. And then we see this character that we find out is going to be Frank. He's doing some sort of ritual where he opens the box. We see some fire and shit. There's like some candles around him. The box glows a little bit. And then eventually he gets a bunch of hooks on his back. Mm. So I was like, dang. It's, like a, it's like a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. So yeah. That's reminding me. It's like a Rubik's yeah, so Cube. It's, so it's a, it's a puzzle box. So it's like a puzzle he's trying to solve. And once he solves it, and it opens up this gateway to another dimension. Yes. With hooks. With hooks. So we see a dirty house. All right, and it's like there's like fucking food left out. There's maggots everywhere. There's bugs everywhere. Um, there's a. So we see um, the there's like this like room, 
and it, it, it kind of, for some reason, a lot of stuff in the Hellraiser reminds you of some sort of S and M stuff. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because that's definitely a big theme to this. And I have yeah. to say that for some reason, like this movie, Hell, Hellraiser, every time I watch it, I just it just makes me want to go take a shower. And it has yeah. nothing to do with the S and M. It has nothing to do with the gore. It's just this whole vibe of of just filth. Yes. Of like dirtiness. Like it's just like. I feel like I just smell bad after I watch yeah. this movie. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a very effective and it's probably intended to be that way, but like it just, I just feel like I need to take a shower after I watch this every single time. So we see like this room with a bunch of like chains, like, you know, hooks and chains everywhere. Just like skin, blood everywhere. Pinhead's rocking. Well, we don't know that the character is named Pinhead at this time. It's just some dude in some sort of like, S&M outfit with like pins in his mm-hmm. head. Yeah. He kind of looks like a fucking evil um Oh god, what's the 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 guy from the Adams family? Oh wow. Um you know the bald one? Uh, yeah, I know. I was thinking I can see him in my head like that just that just like left my memory. What yeah. what is that guy's name? What's his name? Um not Lurch. Lurch is the Lurch is the uh the butler. Um, uh, it's like the the dad, right? No, he's like the uncle. Yeah, uncle, I... something. <laughs> There's a lot of people listening. They're just screaming at their car at the like, radio. Right? You guys should know this guy. It's fucking Uncle Fester. Is that his name? I yeah, I think it's under Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. He kind of looks like Uncle Fester. Yes. So yeah, he's kind of like a uh, an evil S and M version of Uncle Fester. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> we don't know what his actual name is during this particular time. But he's looking around, he gra- gathers this uh, face, and he puts it together. And we see that the face is the guy at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, so we get we get this couple, they arrive in this the house that we're seeing that was kind of like where, where um, the pin fester <laughs> guy was at. <laughs> and... It's a character, Larry and Julie. The first, they can't get inside the house because they think somebody changed the locks, but then they get it open. And this is supposed to be their new home. Um, apparently, Larry hasn't been here for like 10 years and it's been empty. And apparently, his brother, Frank, agreed to give the house to Larry so they have a place to stay. But it, the place is all messed up. Like, it's all boarded up and everything. There's like food and maggots on him and all kinds of shit mm-hmm. around this house. Um, you know, Larry's going out this house. He's like, hey, all this shit doesn't mean anything to me. I guess like he does, I guess like, so, you know, like it's like, like we were saying before the beginning, this movie doesn't do a lot of backstory. So what the backstory is, I'm guessing is this is where Larry and Frank grew up and a lot of this stuff that they had in their house, like Larry doesn't have an attachment to, so he doesn't mind getting rid of it and, and reinventing the whole house to make it look great for for his new wife, Julia. That's what I got out of him not liking the stuff around the house. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm figuring, yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, while, while he's looking around everything, Julia, she goes upstairs. First, she's going back and forth, like, I don't know if I want to live here. Like, this place is, you know... They're, they're kind of like getting like a little like fancy to each other. Then the phone rings. This is when Larry, he talks to his daughter, um, Kirsty. Kirsty, yeah. 
And Kirsty's saying, like, hey, I got, like, a room and stuff. But he's like, you know, Larry thought the daughter was going to come, you know, stay with them at the house. But she's going on saying, no, I got my own room. And I'll be there. So we're seeing so there's some tension. First, you think it's tension between Larry and his daughter. But it, it was tension between um, uh, the daughter and then Julia. Right. So at this point... So let me see if I understand this correctly. Cause like, as you mentioned earlier, they don't explain a whole lot of stuff. You just kind of have to figure it out. Yes. Um, so they live somewhere else and Rory just married Julia. No, Larry, and Larry. Oh, and his name, I think his name is Rory in the book. Sorry. Oh, okay. uh, Larry. So Larry marries Julia and um, th- they, they used to live somewhere else. And now they're moving to this different town where this house that Frank owned. Right. Yes. And then they assumed that Kirsty was going to live with them, but she gets her own place. Yes. Okay. Because so make sure I understood this correctly. Kirsty yeah. is not a big fan of Julie because Julie is not her original mom. It's like her stepmom now. Right. They well, she's like, also obviously an evil bitch too, but and yes. then everybody can see that, but Larry. Yes. Um, so this is also too many of Julie. She actually goes up to like where one of the rooms and they see that there was a bed made. So they think like, oh crap, Frank is still here. Like we thought Frank wasn't going to be here. Maybe, but they see like a bed made and everything that looks like that he's been sleeping here. At first they think it's like, you know, people maybe breaking in and, you know, using the house to sleep in like some homeless people. Right. Um, but this is when, you know, they're, they're kind of discussing that. And this is also too when Julie's like looking at like different pictures of like Frank doing like naughty stuff, so that was <laughs> right. So but I, they also never explain this either. They right, they never explain where they think Frank is. Like because I because well, the first time I watched this, I think I thought they just assumed I just assumed that they knew Frank was dead. Yes, but they don't talk about that in the movie, right? They 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 sometimes kind of seem to kind of imply that he's still alive, or they think he is, or no. I, Am I, I wrong about that? The only thing I could think of that maybe they thought he was dead because of what happened to him overseas. So that's the only thing I could think about. Maybe they just maybe or maybe he just they thought he just vanished or something. So I didn't really get the whole. They didn't really go too much backstory of where Frank was. Yeah, but I think right. maybe they didn't. They didn't tell any of that stuff really. They either thought he was dead or that he ran away. Um. So. Okay. So um, so Larry's like, and then eventually, like Julia comes up to to Larry downstairs after she's done done looking at all the Frank pictures, kind of weirdly, and she talks to Larry, and Larry's like, okay, well, how's it gonna do? She's like, okay, fine, we'll 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 take it. It's like, okay, cool, we're moving in on Sunday. So we get jumped to the scene where it's Sunday, everybody's moving in now. This is a weird one. So they're trying to get the bed upstairs. Have you ever tried to get a bed upstairs, like to the? I try, I've done this like a billion times and it always sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried to do it a lot of times and it's one of the reasons that I hopefully will never move again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, either that or I just don't want a bed. I'll just sleep on the fucking floor. Yeah, like, and this staircase staircase had like a lot of curves to it too. But like, so they didn't even get it like on, they basically <laughs> just got it on the stairs and then the guy, like the mover guys, which this is their job to get it up the stairs. It's like, oh fuck, I'm tired. You got a beer? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where'd that come from? <laughs> and then like, and then they see Julia and they're like looking at her like she's some sort of hot piece of ass. And he's like, yeah, what's up? And then he's like, and then Larry's like, okay, well I'll go get the beers. 
And then this is when we see uh, the daughter, uh, Kirsty. I was gonna fuck up her name probably, but Kirsty. She's walking on a bridge, and you know she goes to the house and everything. She sees that just some weird shit up uh, at the beginning of the house. She walks in. Um, she talks to her dad a little bit. She talks to the movers, and um, she she's ba- you know she's there to you know help, I would say maybe not live there, but like stay there and see what's how the move is going. Um, and then this part is a little awkward. So after um, Christy, she kind of goes upstairs. A mover says like, oh, is that your daughter? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I see she gets her looks from her mother. And I was like, her mother's dead. Just, oh, shit, just okay. matter of fact, yeah, her mother's dead. So I was like, I was like well, what's the point of these mover guys? <laughs> Like not to move the bed. <laughs> like they're, they're just being a bunch of dicks the whole time. It's like, what, what is this foreshadowing something that I'm not seeing? Or they're just there? <laughs> it's, a, it's like they got to the hard part of the job where they moved all the little boxes, but they're like, fuck it. We don't want to move this bed. Let's uh, yeah. let's just not do this part. Yeah, we're not going to move this bed. We're going to drink the beer, and we're going to try to hit on both these girls. Yeah, buddy. So, so, this is, so this is when we... So this part... Uh, I think when I first watched it, I was like, okay, we're now establishing what the story is going to be. So we see Julia, she's up in that room that she was looking at all those naughty pictures from. And then we get a flashback. Okay, so this is supposed to be, I guess, close to the wedding date for Larry and Julie, where Julie answers the door and there's a Frank. He's out there in the rain. He's like, hey, mm-hmm. can I come in and stuff? You know, it's raining out here. And Julie's just looking at him all like, like she can't believe what her eyes are seeing. She can't see. She she couldn't imagine such a gorgeous human being before in her life. How? <laughs> what's angel has come to my doorstep of this guy named Frank who's being a dick? Yeah, yeah. I think this is amazing. This, <laughs> this whole scene is just amazing. Like like there's nothing like. I mean, you know, I'm not a great judge of whether you know of of the attractiveness of other guys. I guess, but like. He just seems like a normal guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just like her husband seems like a normal guy. Well, he had a nice, so they, he had a very nice jawline. He did. Well, I guess so. He did have, and, and, uh, you know, the five o'clock shadow and that kind yeah. of thing. But I guess he's just supposed to be like, you know, the most attractive, interesting man on the planet. And then she's immediately attracted to him or whatever. So, you know, she eventually lets him in everything. You could tell that there's like some shit going on over here. And then he asked for a towel. Um, this is when then, then, uh, Chrissy, she interrupts, she talks to Julie for a little bit. Um, and Julie's like, Julia, she just like blows her off basically and goes upstairs and starts acting some more weird because she's remembering all these fine memories of her and Frank and she gets another one. So Frank and, and, she, and Julia are drinking and, um, you know, Frank's going on like, you know, what about your wedding and everything? And then he's like, you know, how about I get a kiss? And then, like, they just basically we could tell that okay, Julia was supposed to marry this Larry guy, but then she met Larry's brother and basically is having an affair. Uh, right, right or, before they or, get married, or a pre a pre fair, right <laughs> before the, the Larry and all them met, and they basically start kissing, and then Larry and then uh, Frank get gets down and dirty with the bride, hmm. and of course, you know, we can also tell that Frank doesn't really give a shit about his brother. Like he, he's kind of like, like has a kind of like an asshole persona to him. 
it's kind of like a um so uh go, go, go ahead no i was gonna say yeah i mean he he's clearly portrayed as the bad guy right like you yeah. like there's not really a redeemable quality to frank 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 is really the only bad well julia but Fred and julie are the only bad pe- are the bad people in the movie yeah they'd be the but heels. you know frank yeah they're definitely the heels frank is portrayed as an under unrepentant heel like there's nothing good about him he's just bad yeah and he cuts the shirt to show that he's a bad boy and and with they, a switchblade with a switchblade and then they get it on and then of course julie she's thinking about all his memories all these fond memories and then during all this stuff while they're humping Larry cuts his hand, <laughs> and then like after he cuts his hand, he goes to Julia and says, "Like I'm bleeding stuff," and he's all like, oh, "You know how blood gets to me? I'm gonna pass out just by looking at it." <laughs> and then he's bleeding all over the floor and stuff. And I was just thinking, "Fuck, man, you're telling me me and Larry have something in common?" <laughs> For some <laughs> reason, like I don't know what it was. You know, I made really? some, yeah, so I made you know I haven't done them in, in a while, but I made short horror movies where I have blood everywhere and stuff. But like, yeah. I don't know, recently now, like, if I, like, you know, sometimes I gotta get, like, go to the doctor and get my blood checked and everything. If I see it and stuff, I get all kind of squeamish. I'm like, where this, where, how, like, did this, how did this develop? You know what I mean? I don't know, like, your own blood or just, does any blood? Like, if I, I were my, to, like, I, just, think, I think it's my own blood. Okay, I was about to say, it's like, if, so, like, if we were, like, together and actually cut myself, would you, like, like, would that make you sick or no? I don't think so. I think it might have to be my own blood because... Maybe. I mean, I, I don't really want to ex- experience that. <laughs> see, like somebody get cut in front of me and all blood pops right. out and see how to react. But I, it, it yeah. might be like my own blood that I get kind of squeamish for. You know, kind of like, you know, Larry, you know, obviously this is his own blood. He's dri- this guy fucking had a huge cut. He's like fucking dripping blood everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. And then after that, they, you know, they, they talk about, okay, we got to get you to the hospital and stuff. And this is when we see that the blood has soaked into the house and it goes on a it kind of looks like a heart but it also kind of looked like a sheet <laughs> that the uh, blood <laughs> fell onto <laughs> and now we get and now we get yes we're finally back we're finally back to slimy 80s demon like creatures yeah we don't you don't see that a lot nowadays you know what i mean that no. i think that's something missing in horror movies nowadays, especially like For sure. monster horror men, we don't get the sliminess. I love the like the jello slimy shit well, going on. Well, part of the issue is that they don't make real monsters anymore. Everything is CG, and you can't make slimy CG stuff. Yeah, um, not really. I mean, you have to like you have to actually put Vaseline or some kind of petroleum jelly on the on on the monster that you made, and and that's one of the reasons that all this shit is better. And the shit that comes out now is because everything now is CG. The blood would be CG if they did this movie today. Um, you know, instead of having like fake blood, they would have CG blood now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, but yeah, I think that like when you build that monster suit or that monster demon model, you know, I think it makes it look way better and way more authentic when you put the slime on it. It probably also hides the flaws in your, in, in your suit, maybe make it look less like a suit. But, you know, that that just slimy, like, because that's what, it, I don't know, like, it's just, it's it turns you off, right? Like, it's just something that immediately, like, like t- kind of turns your stomach, because slimy stuff's gross, and, yeah. like, this thing is supposed to be gross, so we great. get that immediately. I think it's yeah, great. It's, it's a very great effect that texting is missing nowadays. Um, yeah. Another important line during these flashbacks was after Frank is done giving uh, 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 Julia the, uh, the good old one and two. 
And mm-hmm. he says, this is never going to be good enough. And he leaves. And then Julie's like, oh, what is it? She's like, I'll do anything. And I mean anything for you. So we see the major plot point right here. So after we have like this demon-like structure uh, <laughs> created. Demon. <laughs> yeah. I do like the jello brain. That was one of my favorite parts to it. We're now we're at the yeah. dinner table. Okay. Larry is going on and on about suing somebody. I'm not sure who he was supposed to be suing. Was it the was it the movers? Was it some attorney? I'm not sure who he was talking about. But he wants it should to be the somebody. movers because they're the one yeah. that fucked this whole thing up. Yeah, pretty much. So he's suing somebody. Um, uh, Chris, Kristen, or the Christie? <laughs> Kirsty. Kirsty. God, I know I'm gonna fuck this. Is that gonna man. be this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be a fun episode. I can tell already. Kirsty over here staring at some nerd guy. I think his name is Steve. Did you see this guy? Steve. Yeah. Yeah, Steve. And Steve. I think Steve suits that guy perfectly. Yeah, it was Steve. Name. This fucking guy. Like, I'm not exactly sure why he was here, but he was here in the movie. He was supposed to be the uh, the girl's love. And he didn't really do like anything. But I guess he was supposed to be like making her seem more normal. He's like that guy. He's like, okay, well... There's nothing too much of this character. You could tell that he he has one gimmick though that he does, Allison. I don't see if you've done this. So this guy can swallow a cigarette and then pop it out of his mouth. Um, no, I've never done that. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't really, I don't smoke. I though, mean, so I, I, I met, think that whole shit. I mean, if you want to get a girl, you know, take some notes from our boy Steve here. He knows what he's doing. So Julie is like she wants to go upstairs because she is too busy thinking about Frank's, uh, you know, his Frank's uh, uh, box. If you know what I'm talking about, all right. She can't. <laughs> she can't be. She can't hear this Larry guy anymore. Um, so she has to leave. And then you know the Bill. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave. Fucking Bill. We don't even see him in the rest of the movie. But Bill says, oh, I should leave too. And Larry's like, no, don't leave. Stay here. And then Julie goes upstairs. And then this girl asked, like, Larry, I guess one of the friends, she's like, oh, is, is it still hurt? And then Larry's like, it says, it only still hurts when I drink. And I was like, is he talking about his hand or his heart or what's going on? Does he, does he know that Julie fucked Frank? I, surely he doesn't know, right? Like, that's what I'm wondering. Because like, well, it, it kind of implies that he does know, and it kind of sometimes implies that he doesn't. Well, it, I don't know if he does because there's a scene coming up where he just says Julie's acting weird. Mm. So maybe he doesn't know that his brother's been perking her this whole time. Yeah. I don't think he knows. So Julie goes upstairs and then his hand grabs her. She gets all freaked out and stuff. And the guy's like, don't look at me. Help me, but don't look at me. Right? Right. Don't and look at me. Don't look at me. And then she's like, she's about to leave. But it's like, no, it's me, Frank. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's me, Frank. I need help. The the blood from the floor got me back to the state, so I need more blood from the floor as well. Uh, 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 the daughter's about to come upstairs. Kirsty, she's about to come upstairs, and then Frank basically is just saying like, "Hey, you know, don't look at me. This is really me, Frank. I need more blood. Can you please help me? You said you'd do anything for me. Can you please help me? I need help." And then, of course, you know, uh, Julie sees uh, Christy, you know, before she's going to come up there. They look at each other funny. And then eventually Steve asks for Christy and then they leave. So then we have a yeah. scene which um, it's a you know train coming by. We have Christy and Steve walking alone and stuff. They run into some, some more homeless guy. They look at him funny for a little bit. They walk off. 
Um, they like flirt with each other for a little bit and then they kiss. So we're establishing those two characters as like the uh, the good people in the story, I guess. Um, how do you, um, real quick, yes. let me ask you a question. How do you think they did that effect? So like when he's, um, w- when she's bandaging up uh, um, Larry's hand and the blood splashes on the floor yeah, and then it soaks into the, the, the wood. Like, how do you think they did that? Like I was thinking at first, like it's some kind of reverse effect, but I don't know how they would do that either. Like, you know, it, it can't be CG because that didn't exist then um, unless all of the blood is animated I don't know how they did that, like how they they did the soaking into the wood part. Hmm, I'm not sure either. Maybe it's like maybe it wasn't wood. It was like maybe it's supposed to look like wood, but maybe it's like styrofoam. Mm. I don't know. So maybe, maybe something like that. Maybe, but yeah, I don't know. It's a good effect though. Anyway, yes. continue on. Homeless guy, and then they kiss. Yes, and they kiss. Yes. So now Julia is lying awake thinking about Frank's sex. Hmm. Okay, she's thinking like, oh fuck, I used to have such good with this Frank guy. Now I got this Larry guy over here. Um, so this is when, this is when she goes to see Frank in that room and Frank's like, will you do it? He's like, will you, will you kill and bring me the flesh and the blood? And she's like, yes, she will. She'll do it. Bring me the flesh and the blood. Yeah. So she has Larry, she has Larry because Larry has a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's established that Larry is a successful at whatever he does. Yes. Um, and, but, but he's not very interesting, but Frank, yes, who is Frank. a traveler and uh, not, not a rich person, um, is way more exciting. So yes. what if we could, if we could only put these two brothers together into one person? Yes. If we could only do this. Yes. We can combine them. We'll see what happens. And if we could combine them, we'll see what happens. So this is a weird scene too, which I'm not sure where it's going, but Kirsty, she's having a dream, right? And the dream is like she's in like in a room. There's a baby crying. There's like a coffin with a, like a sheet of blood on it and stuff. And she eventually opens it, and it's her dad. And she freaks out, wakes up because she had a nightmare. Yeah. So to me, this just looked like a music video. <laughs> yes. So I guess we're establishing that somehow, uh, uh Kirsty has magical nightmares to see into the future of what's going to happen before even encountering the box. I assume so, yes. Even okay. though she's not established to have any kind of like powers like this anywhere else in the movie. Maybe it'll be explained later on in the sequel. Possibly. So, uh, and then she calls up her dad. You know, which, you know, I could see some stuff like this happening. You know, maybe, you know, if you have a loved one that you might feel is in danger, maybe you can have some sort of premonition dreams of them premonition. being... Premonition. Yes. Sorry. Being in... Uh, um, in danger. You know, there's probably been stories like that. So I can kind of see th- if that's what they were hinting at. But, you know, she calls the dad, makes sure everything's okay. The dad says, yes, I'm never better. I feel fine. And so this is, uh, uh, this is with Julie. She's about, she's about to leave the house. And, um, fr- you know, Frank, he just, like, goes about his business. So Julie is now at the bar. She's drinking. We have some fucking dude come up to her. Just some normal white dude. He's like, hey, drinking alone's not fun. Ooh, smooth. And then the guy wants to drink with her and everything. Uh, and then, you know, she's like, okay, yeah, why not? And then we see him that she gets take they she takes him back to the house. 
And the guy's like, you know, he's like, oh, okay, this is cool. You know, this is my first time doing something like this. She's like, okay, you just got to experience new things. All right, and the guy's trying to kiss up on her and stuff. Um, and then uh, th- this is when this guy starts getting, like, really aggressive. He's like, kissing. He's like, why do you think I've been here and stuff? And then he's like, you're not going to, sh- sh- you know, change your mind now. He's, like, getting, like, an asshole about it. So she eventually takes him up to the stairs. And she's like, he first is like, there's no bed in here. And then they go on from there. And eventually she knocks him out with a hammer. And we see the first victim that Julie has given for Frank. And of course, Frank's like, get out of here. Don't look at me. And he takes, I guess, like the blood and then the skin of the victim. Mm. Or is it mostly? Yeah, the blood? like he, I think it's mostly the blood. Like he just kind of absorbs it. Um, of course, the bodies never. The bodies seem to disappear, right? Uh, kind of. They kind of just come to like some corpses, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's so he's absorbing the blood from these people to to get his life back. Yes, but we don't know why yet. But we will. So, um, and then you know, during this, like you know, Frank's like, "Listen, I need like maybe like one or two more bodies, and I'll be good." <laughs> and you know, so after they, you know, after Julie did all this stuff, she goes and she washes off her bloody clothes. And then uh, she walks in and sees the dead body. And then, then, you know, Frank's basically saying, like, hey, I need more blood. You know, I just need, uh, I feel like all my stuff is getting back. Larry comes home. Julia tries to hide. Larry keeps asking for her and stuff. She's hiding in the bathroom. She says she's not feeling well. She's sick. She'll be down a little bit. So this is when, you know, when Julia comes back to Frank, you know, he's basically just saying, I just need a couple more bodies and stuff to get myself back to normal. And we had to do this soon. Because I have these Cenobites. They might be coming looking for me. And she's like, what are these Cenobites? Yeah. She's like, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just need to, we just need to get around here. We'll, we'll escape together. We'll get out of here. Yeah. So I guess, so this was all kind of an accident, right? Like yes. if, like she didn't know that she, that she could bring Frank back. Mm-hmm. And we don't even really understand. We don't even, we don't even know how, how, how Frank's able to do this. Yeah. Like, you know, he's, we we do find out later where he where he's been and where he came from, but they um, but he but you know so she acts he accidentally gets cut and spills his blood and that's what brings Frank back. But so if that cut accidental cut had never happened, this would never have happened because she wasn't planning on going there to bring Frank Frank back. Right? It, it, she just found out about it accidentally. Yeah, because I think what it was was that um, Frank got killed in that room by the Cenobites and stuff and his blood and all his guts and shit were scattered across that room or something in mm-hmm. the Cenobite dimension. So yes. I thought the, that since Larry and Frank were the same, you know, blood, you know, they're brothers and siblings, that maybe somehow Larry's blood could resurrect and get Frank out of that dimension that he was killed in into this dimension. Huh? But I think any blood would do it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, at first I thought it was just going to be like sibling blood. So I thought the main point was going to be like, okay, we got to find this Kirsty girl or Frank. We got to kill them, and that's how we're going to bring this Frank guy back. But I guess it was established. Well, it could just be any blood. So, but it just so happens that it, that it happened. So that's why, like, it, it is kind of like a a circumstance that it happened that way. And then, of course, you know, like this is when um. You know, Julie, she talks to Larry a little bit about her being just feeling sick and everything. And um, she just goes back upstairs. And this is when 
this is when we're getting like some more interaction between Frank and Julie. Basically, Frank just being like, hey, you know, don't cheat me this. We're going to have real love. We're going to be love forever. All right. So we see Kirstie at her job in a pet store. Some old lady <laughs> wants the manager. I was like, oh boy. And this is when <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there before. Some old lady wanted yeah. the fucking manager. She's like, the manager ain't here. All right. See you later. Uh, then this is when we see that same homeless guy from earlier. He now eats a bunch of bugs, and Christy yeah. looks on him like he's weird, and then kicks him out. So we have an old guy eating bugs to foreshadow something kind of coming up. And this is when Steve shows up, and she asks Christy, "What's is it okay and stuff?" And so Julia now brings another guy home, and the other guy is like, "Okay, you know." It's like, are we safe here? It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, good. I don't like to be interrupted. And then she eventually kills him. And this is when we have, you know, so we get Frank some more bodies so he can get some more life into him. This is when we see the scene of Julia drinking, looks like wine on her couch. She's all in white and stuff. And she's smiling because she's going to get her man back. Yep. Uh, uh, Frank smokes and he says he can finally start feeling the smoke on it now. Like, he can start feeling stuff. He's getting some of his uh, taste buds back for everything. Yeah, which is kind of strange because he has no skin. Yes. So, if he starts feeling stuff now, he's probably going to be uh, in, in a bad shape, is is my guess. Yes. Of course, after what the Cenobites did to him, I don't know what, uh, I don't know if this would really bother him much. So, now Julia's like, okay, you told me you would explain what is going on over here. And then this is when... He shows her the box, the famous, you know, Rubik's Cube box. Mm. Um, yep. And then he goes on, goes on and talks about pleasure. Uh, he said, like, this pleasure is of heaven and hell. And it's like a little bit of both. It's like, it's like pure pleasure that comes from this. And should be, uh, it basically is just showing that the box is a portal to not only heaven and hell, but it will give you the ultimate pleasures of life. And this is how you find them from there. So, so we get like a little like explanation of kind of like why the box does its does its thing. So it's kind of like not of this world. It's kind of like a, it's supposed to be a pleasure box, but I don't know what kind of pleasure if you just getting well, dying and shit. Well, I think that the point of it is that from the from the perspective of the Cenobites or the Cenob- the world or the dimension the Cenobites live in, yes. there's not any difference between pleasure and pain. Yeah. And I think that that was the point was that he was, um, you know, like he, he, he was saying that, or I think Pinhead says that you'll get the ultimate pleasure and the ultimate pain, but they turn out to be the same thing. Yeah. So this is when we get Julie and Larry watching TV. They're watching boxing. Larry's like, oh, this used to like disgust you. And now Julie's like, why well, I've seen worse. Uh, yeah, Ooh. now I've seen the skinless corpse that's in the attic. <laughs> exactly. I, uh, I've seen worse. <laughs> so f- Frank is, I don't know what his problem is, but he starts freaking out. Yeah, I thought this was weird too. Like, yeah. like he, why would he bring more attention to himself? You would think he would just kind of lay low until he had skin again. Well, the only thing I could think of which it hasn't been established yet, but it's about to be established, that Larry's like, I mean, Frank's like, okay, well, I need to get my skin back soon because I got to get away from these Cenobites that want to kill me. They want to give me their version of pleasure. I don't want that kind of pleasure. Right. So I, I maybe, oh, go go ahead. 
No, no, no. Continue. I'll, so, I'll, I'll say this. So maybe his thing was like, okay, well, the closest body I can kill right now is Larry, my brother. So maybe if I maybe if I make some noise, I can drag him up here. I can kill him, and I can get my body transformation quicker. But you know, Julie right. is all like, "Well, I don't want Larry to see Frank up there, and I don't want him to die because even though I don't like Larry, I want to. I'm going to keep having sex with Frank. Doesn't mean I hate Larry until later. Mm. Until later. Yeah. Um, also, why is Frank wearing clothes at this point? Like, you know, he has no skin. Yeah, and it just seems like it would be really messy if well, you were wearing clothes with no skin on. Well, like, it just be really. It would just go through the clothes. Well, there's two reasons. Number one, for decorum. All right. <laughs> Number two, you know, it can get a little chilly up there. You got no True, fucking I forgot stand. about the etiquette of uh, etiquette of uh, coming back from the dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Got these clothes, I don't want to waste them. So Larry wants to go upstairs. Julia's trying to stop him. We get this whole back and forth, and eventually they start kissing. And boy, our Larry, he is horny. He was like, okay, finally. I can finally get this girl. And then, of course, Julia's like, oh, it's just the rain scaring me and stuff. And eventually, you know, Larry just gets up in there. He goes in the room. He's like, "Oh, it's probably a rat." And then we actually see a rat nailed to the, uh, <laughs> to the, to the, to the door. Um, and this is when they, uh, uh, they go back to the bedroom. Larry's trying to go to town on her. Um, he's like kissing up on her and stuff. Frank is in the room. He comes out of the closet with his switchblade. Uh, Julie starts freaking out a little bit. Frank kills a rat in front of them. And then just for shock, just for shock. There's value. no story element. Yeah, yes. he just like carves like the skin off this rat like while they're standing there. Okay, so I think there was a little foreshadowing here. So Frank Whoa. is foreshadowing. Looks, I can skin this rat's skin, and he's like, "You get it? I can skin somebody." Hmm. Yeah. So a little bit of foreshadowing. And then of course, that, yes, that's true. That is yes. true. That is some foreshadowing. And, of course, she's begging no and stuff. And then eventually, um, Larry's like, well, what the hell's going on? I can't figure you out anymore. You're acting all crazy. So, he doesn't understand her. So, this is when we get a, the we have Larry and his daughter, uh, Kristen, uh, out there eating dinner. They talk about Julie and how she's acting all weird lately. She doesn't really know what's going on with her. And basically, Larry's like, hey, you know, can you just go visit her and become friends with her? Because I think she does, she just doesn't want to leave the house. She's not talking to anybody. This transition to the house is just probably making her a little nervous. Can you go there and try to build a relationship with her? So at this time, you know, Larry still doesn't think there's any cheating going on over here. Yeah, basically everybody everybody in this movie knows something's going on except for Larry. Yes. So Frank is going on saying like, you know, like you don't love him. You love me. You know, why can't I basically kill him? And and she's like, and then Chris, Julie's like, no, 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 we can't, we can't do that. Like, just because I don't love him like that doesn't want him to see him harmed. And then this is when we see uh, 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 Kirsty. She is going over there, and she she catches Julia in the act of bringing a guy inside. Mm-hmm. All right, and of course the guy inside is like a loser. He's like, oh, I get lonely sometimes, and she's like, everybody does. Um. And then she go, he goes into the room and is like, oh, is this like some sort of game? <laughs> and then she starts attacking him. And I guess she couldn't like overpower this particular guy. So he's trying to escape. But then Frank comes there and then eventually Frank like grabs his nails and puts it into the guy's flesh. And he tells Julia to get out of there. And then he, he sucks the guy's blood down, I guess, with his I, hand. I, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really strange. Like we never see this anywhere else in the movie, but he sticks his hand inside the guy's like back or his neck or whatever. And like, yeah, s- s- absorbs his blood that way, I guess. So during this whole time, Kirsty, she is up in the, she got inside the house and she's looking around and stuff. Julie is out there. She doesn't know what to think. You know, you could tell like a little bit of her was like, okay, I don't want to do this. And then a little bit of her was like, well, I need Frank back. So I got to do something. And I promised him. I can't go back on my promises. And then eventually she hears the Kirsty kind of coming upstairs. Um, and this part's a little weird. So she eventually, Kirsty goes upstairs. She walks into the room. She sees the dead guy. And then Frank comes. And she's like freaks out seeing like this fucking skinned guy. He's like, oh, don't worry. It's Uncle Frank. It's like he was growing up so much, Christy. He's like, yeah, don't. Yeah, he's like, don't worry, like, yeah, it's don't Uncle worry. Frank. Yeah, don't worry, it's not for Frank. <laughs> he's just a skinless corpse. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah, don't worry. If it's me, it's me. It's me, Christy. <laughs> it's all like you've grown up and you're so beautiful now. And uh, and then he's like, he kind of like corners her into the room and everything. And she's like, oh, this isn't happening. This is happening and stuff. And he's like, "This, don't worry about it. It is happening right now." And she, once he's about to like kind of give her a kiss, so I don't know where this came from. I guess Uncle Frank, he don't care. He's about to give her a kiss, basically. And his, I don't. Maybe he saw Christie. He's like, "I don't need that Julia anymore." So he attacks. So eventually, Christie attacks him. Kind of grabs him, like we said, like grabs his like inside his body and moves it out. And he mm-hmm. throws him down. And eventually, um, he grabs. She grabs the box. And he's like, no, 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 I need that box. Give me the box. Give me the box. She's like, oh, you want this? Or she throws it out the window and she leaves. Yeah, I think it's weird that they keep this. This puzzle box is so important, but he, they just keep it laying around. Yeah, laying around, yeah. Uh, just to ha- the house for no reason. It's not even secured or anything. Like, she's just able just to pick it up. Yes. Off the floor. And then she gets out of there. Apparently, I guess Frank can't leave the compounds of the house. Because yes. Christy runs out of the house, grabs a box, and just runs on the street. And she eventually passes out on the street as well. But like, Frank didn't try to trace her or nothing. I guess he can't necessarily leave the house. Maybe he'll melt. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, I think that he can't leave the house. There's no real rules for this. They never give us any rules. They never explain yes. any uh, why any of this is happening. Um, or how he can even come back. Like, like this is not a thing that even happens. Well, I guess it does happen in two, but, um, but you know, it, it's, as we find out later, this is not supposed to happen. Um, you know, you're not supposed to come back after the Cenobites get you. Yeah. Um, but somehow Frank was able to. Yes. So, uh, she's, you know, uh, uh, Chris, she's having some flashbacks of what happened to her and Frank and she passes out. And she wakes up in a hospital. I thought this part was weird. The nurse is like watching flowers on a TV. Yes. So you can tell this scene also is just like the scene where um, where Kirsty is seeing her, the vision of her dad dead. Yes. It's just, you can just tell that this whole scene was just something, was a vision or a, an idea in Clive Barker's head. Yes. And he, you know, because it shows like, the, actually before it shows it on TV, it just shows a full screen picture of a fast motion uh, flower blooming or whatever. Yes. And then <laughs> they try to work that into the movie by having that being something the nurse is watching on television. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's just like, watching a flower <laughs> TV show, John. 
Like this, like this job is so fucking boring <laughs> that watching flowers bloom on a television is more is more exciting. Yes, than you know, this. we have we have the blooming part. We have the part where a bee comes up to it. We got some, <laughs> we got the flowering part. I mean, it's pretty exciting seeing some of these flower shows. Okay, and this girl was watching it heavily too. She she even noticed that Christy woke up for a second. She said, "Oh, you fine?" Oh, it's like, "Oh, you woke up. You oh. you woke up. You're fine now." And she and of course. <laughs> Kirstie wants to leave and stuff, and then this doctor comes in and is like, hey, you got to go back to bed. She's like, no, no, you're going back to bed. We got to do some more tests on you. And by the way, the police probably want to talk to you too because you had some blood on your shirt. And then, and then she's like, and then she gets, she gets locked in to the, uh, to, the, to the hospital room. Then she starts playing with the box. She looks all happy too when she's like playing with the box. And we get some mm-hmm. pink light on the box. Um, I guess she touched the wrong portal and the wall opens the wall opens of the room yeah it seems so easy to solve this puzzle box yeah well those ones the other ones are freaking hard man i always sucked at this yeah. yeah the rubik's cubes i never yeah i've never been good at the rubik's cube but this this thing seems so easy like she doesn't even know she's solving a puzzle and she's able to solve it yeah. like she's you know like she just touches it and then like it solves it so she solves it and then here comes the Cenobites. Well maybe it's easy to get the pleasure. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's the point. It's yes. a trap, right? It's yes. anything any way you touch it solves it. Yes. Uh so when the 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 wall opens up, it's like a big hallway, we hear some screams. She goes down the hallway because of course, you know, got to. And what do we see? We see a giant eighties monster. Slimy, this was great. T, yeah, following her and stuff. Animatronic monster following you. Good stuff. Liked it. So she eventually escapes. She's back into the to the hospital room, and then so I thought this part was kind of cool too. So she she plays with the box a little bit too, um, and then like some of the room starts like the wall starts to like smoke up a little bit. And it just the everything starts to like kind of like be like a little bit distorted, kind of looks like a dream. So I thought that part was pretty cool. Yeah, it kind of looks like a music video again. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so we and then um, we have the so this is when the walls are start smoking because she's played with the box again. Uh, the TV starts freaking out with the flower show. It's going on and off. We see the little IV drip full up with blood. And then we get the Cenobites have shown up. And finally, the first Cenobite is probably my favorite. The one with the teeth. Oh, yeah. The Chatterer. Chatterer, yes. Because they're not mm. named right now. You know what I mean? No. So, so, like, basically, if you don't know their names, like, usually the, when I, this one first pops up, he has, like, the, the scarred up face. Looks like he's from Twisted Metal. And he has the fucking big ass teeth. I just thought this guy looks, like, awesome. And, like, what a what a horror movie demon that the, the the chatterbox guy is always like that one. It's always my favorite. So he shows up and he kind of corners Kirsty through the room. And then all the other ones start showing up. You know, we got the bigger one. Uh, we got the only girl one. And then we have the pinhead, of course, show up as well, too. Um, I thought they all look great. I mean, like, man, the costumes on these were fantastic. You know, very, very iconic. Uh, but I did like where the, the chatterbox... Did you notice this, Allison? That he put Kirsty in the mandible claw? I did. I saw that. Like his his fingers yeah. went right to her mouth. Yeah, I thought that was really like really cool. I was like, oh shit, he's the he's the originator of the Amanible Claw. Yep, that's where that's where Mick Foley got it. Yes, and of course, you know, uh, Pinhead. He sh- he shows up. It's like you the box has summoned us. Uh, 
and he's like and she's like who are you guys he's like demon to some angels to others yes such a cool line yeah he did a lot of cool lines on here uh she says like she, she tells him to go to hell and they said like they can't make it there yet and he said uh-huh. like they said like you have solved the box so now you have to come with us and she's and she's like he's also like she starts to cry a little bit she's like no tears please that's a waste of good suffering so like, oh man that's yes. cool and she's like oh you guys have done this before <laughs> sure that yes many many times <laughs> like no it's our first time does it show yeah, yes and then she's basically like, she's basically like said like, hey, you know, this guy, do you remember Frank? And this, he's like, uh, yeah, I remember Frank. He's like, he escaped. He escaped. He's like, not possible. Nobody escapes us. <laughs> I think this scene is, this part's so funny because they're like, they're all, because they're here because she saw the puzzle box. And they're like, you have to come with us. It doesn't yes. matter what's going to happen in the future. You're going to come with us. He's like, well, Frank escaped. They're like, wait, what? Yeah, and then right, they completely right. change their like, yeah, like their perspective because now they just want Frank back. They're like, like Frank, he no, that's impossible. How did you do that? She's like, yeah, I saw him. He's not back at the place and stuff. And she, and they're like, and then like the girls like, okay, well, what if we like you better? You're like, who cares about this Frank guy? We escaped now. What if you like you better? But then the the band is like, okay, well, how about you bring us to Frank, and we'll see what's going on. But if you trick us. We'll tear your soul apart. Yeah, the most famous line from the whole trilo- the whole movie series, right? Yes. Is that the intro of every retro blood as well, too? Yes. So she said she'll she'll you know she'll tell them everything you know she'll she'll you know show them basically that Frank is still alive. Um, Julie said. Um, so Julie is now talking to Frank. You know, after this scene with the Cenobites. And she, Julie's saying, like, okay, well, fuck that Chrissy girl escaped. She's going to tell everybody everything. And Frank's like, I don't really care. I just need some new skin. Okay. And right. the phone's ringing and stuff. She's like, Chris, Julie's, Julie's like, probably, that's probably then right now. He's like, you know, he's like, oh, my brother will probably be here sh- soon and stuff. And then, of course, Larry shows up. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Julie's kind of worried. She's like, well, what if there's like, you know, more people, you know, showing up to, to get us and they're gonna tell us everything what, what we've been doing uh and then like frank's like well you know when that needs to be done so this is when we see a scene of steve looking for Kirsty, and she's not there she obviously disappeared because the cinnabites got her out of the room mm-hmm. um julia's now smoke um smokes and she's thinking about frank um and then this is when, uh, like the 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 a hand like kind of caresses uh, 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 Julia's face a little bit, and she looks all happy. So Kirsty knocks down the door, and then Julie answers, and she wants to see her dad. Kirsty wants to see her dad, so she sees her dad, hugs him, but the dad looks a little weird. There's like a lot of blood on him and stuff, and around his face, and he's acting a little strange. All right. Uh, but she, she doesn't seem to notice any of this, though. Yes. And yeah, she doesn't notice notice of that and stuff. She's like, "Okay, I'm glad you're okay and everything. Uh, your brother's upstairs." Um, and, and then of course the the guy 
it was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know he was up there, but you know, we took care of him. We took him out of his misery. He was just a, a piece of crap, and he's better off dead and stuff. And we're all gonna be a, a big old happy family now. Uh, and then Chris is like, oh, I need to see his body. And then the guy show, you know, the Larry shows her, shows her the dead body. Uh, you know, he's trying to stop her too doing this whole thing. So Larry's trying to go back and forth with him. And we can, to be honest with you, at this point, like you could see that Frank, you could basically see that Frank has taken over Larry's body. Yes. Because it's just so well, obvious. Well, he's it's kind of obvious. His skin, kind of. Yeah, he's wearing yeah. like basically his skin that he sewed him on there. So, so basically, uh, when Chrissy goes in there and stuff, she looks at the body, and she sees like the the dead body on there, and then of course the Cinnabite crew shows up, and Pinhead's like, "I want the man who did this." And she's like, no, you can't have him. It's my dad. And Kirstie gets away and runs out of the room and everything. Um, and she's about to leave uh, everything. And then um, Julia's, you know, Julia's trying to block her in and stuff, trying to block her. And she's like, gets her out of the way. Uh, and then, you know, mm-hmm. she's like staying like, hey, you know, Larry's like, stay with us. You know, we can all be happy here together. You know, come to daddy. And then now Christy's realizing like, oh, shit, this is probably not my dad because he's acting way too weird. And then she right, has blood all over yeah. him and he looks odd. Yeah, exactly. Scratches his face and stuff. Uh, so she sees like the skin's peeling off and then they start like running after each other. And then this part's a little weird. So like, I guess like it's like Christy and Julia are like near each other. And then the, the Larry Frank being gets out of switchblade and he goes to mm-hmm. attack. Christy gets out of the way, but he didn't just fucking attacks Julie and just starts killing her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, nothing personal. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that I mean, I see why you think that's weird, but I think that that just uh, fits into Frank's personality, right? He doesn't care yeah. about anything. He doesn't really like Julia. He just wanted to fuck her at first, and now yeah. he just wants to use her to get come back to life to escape the Cenobites' room. Yeah, and it seems like I guess I guess he has more of an attraction to Kirsty now too. Like I guess he wants her instead of the the Julie. Well, yeah, because she's younger, and yeah. honestly, she's more attractive. Yeah. I mean, she's also his niece, but obviously, he doesn't care about that yeah, either. But, yeah, you don't care. So, like, he kills Julia. Kirstie uh, goes and hides in different rooms and stuff. She finds a dead body with maggots going on her during this whole time. Um, and then she just, like, leaves the room and starts crying. And then uh, uh, Frank shows up and finds her. Like, I guess she like, gave up. or No, I think she's trying to trick him at this time. She eventually goes in, back into that room, and that dead body that she was looking at before was Larry. Um, and then, yeah. you know, Frank was just talking about Larry was long dead before I touched him. Like, you know. Right. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know what he meant. Like, Larry seemed, like, happy throughout the whole fucking movie. <laughs> but I guess he was long dead before. Okay. Yeah. And then, like, you know, basically, he's, he's like, uh, saying that I killed Larry and I put his skin on me during this way. And I'm Frank, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the room starts to turn a little bit. Like, what the hell's going on here? And the Cenobites all show up. And then Frank's like, he's like, oh, shit, you tricked me. And then they're like saying, Frank, we had to hear it from your own lips that you were still alive. And then she's like, you little bitch, you set me up. And he goes to stab her. But before he can, the hooks grab all his skin. Basically, they start grabbing all of him. You know, hooks on his hands, legs, arms, everything. And this is when we get another famous line from the, the franchise history. 
So Frank is all fucking, he has like hooks all around his body on all, all both sides. And he's all stretched out. He's all stretched out. He licks his lips, like some sort of sexual licking lips towards um, Christy. And he was all like, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Yeah. And then boom. Explodes. Explodes that motherfucker. And, uh, you know, Christy, she's trying to leave. You know, she's trying to leave now, but she can't leave the room and stuff. And now the Cenobites want her to to come with them because they're like, okay, you know, you already opened the box, girl. You know, we killed Frank. We didn't say we're not going to take you. Okay. Yeah, because the Cenobites are not good guys, right? They're no. they're definitely they're definitely evil. Yeah. So they from start, a certain perspective. Yes. I mean, they might they might become baby faces later on the, in the franchise, but you know, they they definitely. So in this movie, um, they kind of seem like they're I'm not gonna say background characters, but they're the um. I, they had to be like the second antagonist in a way. Well, Frank is the bad guy. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. The, the Cenobites are like a force of nature. Yeah. They're not They're not characters really. And I think it should have remained that way, but it doesn't later on. So, you know, um, after she, you know, Chris is trying to leave and everything. She can't leave. She grabs a box and some of the, the Cenobites are, are, are coming after her. And of course, Pinhead's with another great line. We have such sights to show you. Yes, so good. And then like, like that, I was like, and he started playing the box. He's like, oh, wait, don't do that. <laughs> wait. <laughs> like, hey, wait, don't do that. <laughs> Go to hell. And she uses the box. And then, of course, every time she uses the box, the, um, the standbys, I guess they disappear. Well, yeah, so she reverses the... Yeah. Uh, so in the book, they call it the the, the, the lamentation configuration, which is what the... the uh, um, the movement you need to make on the box to open up the world, the dimensional portal to the Cenobite world. Mm-hmm. Um, but she seems to be really fucking good at this. Like she yeah. just sit down with this thing, not even knowing what it was and brought the Cenobites. And then she just figured out how to send them back to like yeah. with no training on uh, whatsoever, or any education on what this thing even is. Yes, exactly. And then, um, so Steve is also showing up too because his genius mind was like, well, she's not the hospital. She'll just be back. We're at her house where Larry's at. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, he goes in there. So, uh, Kirsty, she's taking care of all like the Cenobites too, like one on one. Every time they try to get close to her, and they they almost look like they're about to grab her, she does her little box magic trick. Except yep. for one. So after she's done taking care of, like the female one and Chatterbox and everything, we have Butterball. Butterball, yes. That's the that's the bigger one's name. The big one, yeah. And he doesn't even get like. He doesn't even get like vanished. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't even get vanished. He just like he gets there and then the house falls on him. And that's it. It's like he didn't didn't get wished away. No. But he does show up in later movies, so we know he survived. Yeah, yeah. So he'd be okay. Well, everybody survived. Not true. Good point. Except Frank. Yeah, so well, no, I think Frank shows up later on in the movies too. No, does he? Okay, I I think so. Well, we'll see. We'll see here soon. But, um, yeah, so the, the, the house falls on them and everything, and she gets all the Cenobites away. Uh, eventually, they get out of the house. Uh, the house is, like, glowing yellow. And then we cut to a scene of they're, like, in some sort of fire pit. And then she looks at the, uh, the, the fire, and she puts the box into the fire. Mm, to burn right. it. To burn, yeah. burn the box. Um, and... So when she does that, 
and she puts the box in the fire, the homeless guy randomly shows up. And his whole point was he shows up, he grabs the box, and he burns himself with it. Well, and then kinda. I mean, he he walks into the fire to, to retrieve the box. Yes. Then he burns. And then and he, he does burn. And yes. then we, we do a shot where we slowly pan out and we realize that everybody is in the box. And we start to the beginning of the movie of the guy saying, what is your pleasures, sir? And that ends the movie. Well, is that what you got out of that? Is that how you took the end of the movie? Yeah, everybody was in the box now. Huh. Okay, I didn't think of it that way. Okay. So I just thought, okay, so so he so he um he picks out the box. Almost got picks out the box out of the fire. Yeah. And he burns and he turns into that winged skeletal oh, yeah, yeah, demon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then flies away with the box. Yes. And then it shows the box and then the little circle that's in the middle of the box is like the movie we're watching. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, when it pans out, then the box is sitting back on the table again with the same guy uh, talking to a different person saying, uh, what is your pleasure? And then yes. the movie ends. But I just took that as just like, that's just how he segued from the box disappearing or the, the homeless guy coming to get the box and turning into the demon. And then it just ends up back where it was for him to sell it to somebody else again. I didn't take it as that they're actually in the box. Oh, okay, I gotcha. So maybe it was a maybe it was a story that remains in the box. I, no, no, I think that's just like a filmmaking like oh, okay, uh, technique gotcha. to get it back to to get the box back to where it started. Gotcha. Well, why did he, why would he give it? Did he give it to somebody else then, or did he just give it? I thought it was Frankie gave it to you. No, it's a different guy. Okay, interesting. It's a different person. So that's what, so, cause that's the whole point of the box, right? Like it passes from person to person and they always fuck up and open the box because they want this ultimate pleasure. Yes. And then it always ends up being something that they don't want it to be. It's like a typical, like a uh, moral, moral story or whatever, a parable, if you will. Um, so it's like, you don't, you know, you're just people who can't leave well enough alone end up in the Cenobite dimension with hooks in them. Um, so yeah, so I think that he's just, he's selling it to a different person, and this person is going to go through, uh, through the same through, through the same thing after they solve the puzzle box. Well, we will figure out that out next week here on the Retro Blood, <laughs> as we continue our Hellfire Month with Hellraiser to Hellbound. So that should be very fun. Uh, we'll see if it holds up. We'll see if it holds up because uh, this one was pretty neat. Like this is, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, holes, but we kind of talked about that. You know, I kind of like, I wouldn't say there's a lot of like plot holes in this movie. There's like a lot of unanswered questions, but like we yeah. said at the beginning, this is a movie kind of like designed for that where there's supposed to be like a, a couple unanswered questions about what's going on. Yeah. It's so, like, it's a puzzle. Yes, exactly. So I thought this one's really good. A very good movie to start off our hellfire month. Here on the Retro Blood, Allison, do you have any final thoughts of Hellraiser One? Um, no, I was just going to ask you if you if you if you liked it. I, I don't know when the last time you saw this movie was, but did you like it as much as you used to like it? Well, the funny thing is, is I don't know if I've ever actually seen this before. Because really? yes, so the only um, recollection recollection I, I could see in my and like that my memories of of Hellraiser was. I know my brother was a big fan of this movie 
like you know very early on in the 90s and stuff and the only scene i knew from the movie was the whole jesus wept scene where he Mm -hmm. fucking like you know blowed him up and stuff but other than that like a lot of stuff i didn't really recognize so i don't know if i actually even watched this movie because i think what it was was i think uh the only the only thing i can remember is you know back then when i watched this i was like a kid or or I heard about it as a kid. My brother watched this movie and it, like disgusted him. You know what I mean? Like it made him like very sick and like he he just like ah you, you can't watch this movie. It's like disgusting. It's like one of the most goriest films I've ever seen and stuff. And maybe that's always been in my head where I was like, okay, I can't I can't watch Hellraiser because that movie right there that will make me feel ill. You know? So yeah. I don't think I've ever like fully watched it through until we did this review. Because I know what happened. I saw I seen a couple of scenes from it before, but I don't actually remember. I might have had, but I don't. I don't remember even watching it before. So the Hellraiser series is like pretty new to me because I actually haven't watched a lot of them. So I kind of like watching them for like the first time, and I, I thought it was pretty good, you know. But like, I that's the only kind of memories I can remember before I watched mm. the movie is about the the Jesus Wept scene was the only scene I kind of knew from the the movie. Yeah, I watched this movie when it was pretty new, like when it first came out on VHS, because I know I didn't go to the theater to see this, but I did rent it in VHS when it came out, um, and it was it was pretty shocking for its time, um, as far as like American horror movies go. Um, it was something that nobody nobody else was really doing. Nothing like this. Nothing this gory. This like even I mean, it's not even that gory. Well, I guess it is. It's pretty gory, but like it just like like I said at the beginning, it just gives you this feeling of dirtiness. Like it's just like it, it. It's even today when I watch it, it makes me feel, and it, it does make me feel ill. It's just like it just makes me feel sick to my stomach to see it. Like it's almost like, and not because it's so gory, but because it's, it just has this feeling. It's like the vibe of it. It's really hard to describe how I feel when I watch this. But I just feel like, like even right now, I feel like I'm I'm gonna after we finish uh, doing the show, I'm gonna go take a shower. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a fun one, though. So it's going to be very interesting seeing uh, the sequel to it, The Hellbound. And maybe we'll get a little bit more backstory and see how they actually progress with the story when it comes on to this one, too. But uh, but everybody, that's been the Retro Blood starting off the Hellfire Month hot with Hellraiser 1. Very good distru- uh, the discussion we had. Very fun episode. But Allison, what should we leave the lovely audience with Today, what kind of music are you gonna are you gonna get us out of here today with? Uh, I I hate this kiss album. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do the other? Well, band no, let's about? let's let, um let's do um let's do let's do the kiss album. Let's do the kiss song, and I'll just talk about how much I hate it. Or which which kiss song did you want to do? Uh, the crazy nights. Crazy nights, everybody. From the kiss. Well, how about, well, hold on. How about I'll fight hell to hold you? That might fit the movie a little bit more. Uh, Okay. All of these songs suck, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) I'll fight hell to hold you. That's that's like a pinhead song. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, I felt like I was in hell when I was listening to this album. We got a hell or high water. I mean, come on! This movie was made for the. This should have been the soundtrack for the Hellraiser right here. <laughs> should have been the soundtrack to Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah that would have been fantastic. <laughs> All right, everybody. This will be "I'll Fight Hell to Hold You," Allison's favorite song from Kiss. 
God, uh, this album sucks. <laughs> we will see you guys here next week here on the Retro Blood as we do Hellraiser 2, Hellbound. Um, and then, like I said, you guys are finding a Rubik's Cute out there. Just be a little careful because you might get some pleasure or you might get some pain out of it. Mm. Yep. Or it might be the same thing. All right, guys. We'll check you later. See ya. <laughs>